Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 118. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of LendIt. Today's podcast is sponsored by Fundrise. Fundrise investors earned over 10.8% average annualized returns during the second quarter of 2017. That's approximately 50% higher than a typical diversified peer-to-peer lending portfolio. How? Fundrise is the first investment service that makes the benefits of private market real estate investing available to everyone online. You can begin with as little as $500. Go to www.fundrise.com slash lendacademy to find out more. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Misha Esipov. He is the CEO and co-founder of Nova Credit. Now, you might have heard of Nova Credit because they were the winner of the 2017 Pitch It at Lend It contest. They won both the Judges Award and the Audience Choice Awards, so they're obviously very popular at uh, Lend It back in March. So I wanted to get Misha on the show. He has got a fascinating company, and it's something that I truly believe in the mission of what they're doing. So I want to get on the show, talk about how he's able to do something which is create an international credit bureau that has never, it's never been done before. So I wanted to dig into that, talk about the challenges in really logistically pulling all that together, talk about the kind of lenders and customers that he's working with today and uh, what his visions are for the future. It really was a fascinating interview and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Misha. Great to be here, Peter. Okay, so let's get started and give the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. would like to hear a little bit about your immigrant story and also about what you've done in, in your career. Sure. Happy to, happy to give you a little bit of light into that. So uh, my background, originally from, from Russia, uh, immigrated to the States uh, almost 30 years ago uh, with my parents. We were part of this sort of Soviet, post-Soviet Union uh, academic drain of, of, of people to the States and Came here, went through school uh, in the States, and then studied math in, in undergrad. Uh, started my career in, in, in New York. Was, at, was there at, at, uh, at Goldman Sachs for a few years, and then at Apollo, uh, the, the private equity fund, before uh, running away from the, the institutional private equity investing world to, to go to graduate school at Stanford. Uh, really just to, to reflect and figure out you know, what was next uh, in, my, in my journey. And figuring out, you know, how how I wanted to further develop myself in, in my career. Maybe a little bit more on the on the immigrant story. I mean, as as an immigrant yourself, Peter, you you, you likely can relate to some of the challenges of mm-hmm. of moving. Right, you land in a new country, uh, many times, you know, new language, new culture, no economic safety net. Uh, your education isn't necessarily understood or respected. Your skills aren't necessarily directly transferable. And, you know, on top of that, the financial services industry shuts you out. And as I hope to cast some more light on that, that's specifically the problem that we're, that we're finally addressing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so let's just go into that. So, like, what was the – because obviously you came over as a child. You didn't have to try and get a credit card three months after you landed. Where did the idea for Nova Credit come from? Yeah, so we, we were working on a variety of entrepreneurship courses at Stanford uh, Business and Engineering Schools. And we're very focused on learning more about student lending and student lending experiences. We were 
we were doing a dozen or two dozen interviews every week with uh, graduate students from around the country. And if you look at the demographics of, of any major graduate school, half of the student body is international and 100% of that half will complain about this problem. How <laughs> they can't get a credit card. They can't get a student loan. They can't get a cell phone plan without putting down a deposit. They can't get an apartment rental without six months of deposit or getting a U.S. co-signer, right? They can't get an auto loan. Uh, they can't get their utilities turned on. Like the, it was, it started to become increasingly clear that there was a systemic problem here that just didn't add up. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So then, what? I mean, to me, it's one thing to recognize the problem and another thing to actually create a business because clearly. This is a. This is not a simple problem you're trying to solve. And there's a reason that here we are in you know 2017, and this is still a problem that you know until you guys have come along, primarily hasn't been solved. So, so tell us about exactly what Nova Credit does, and how did you go about starting? Imagine the you know the challenges about where to even begin would have been pretty tough. So tell us tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I mean the the immediate solution and one that there are a few companies out in, in the marketplace that try to solve is by actually providing a financial product to this demographic, right? So launching credit cards for immigrants or launching student loans for immigrants or auto loans that are tailored for immigrants or co-signing products on apartments for, for immigrants. And, you know, all of, all of those services you know, take some risk. They're, they're great businesses. They're backed by some exceptional entrepreneurs uh, but they are very siloed, and they really focus on you know one or two financial products or verticals. And and we really thought, you know, there has to be a better way. There has to be a way to democratize access to financial services to immigrants and returning Americans from day one. Um, and we, you know, we 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 really started by learning a lot about the international consumer reporting space. It was a relatively new industry for us, and I think in part, you know, a combination of stubbornness and naive optimism, we sort of continued to to pursue it and get more and more informed about the fact that this bureau system that exists in the U.S. between Experian, XFS, TransUnion, and a number of smaller players exists in a very similar format around the world. Mm -hmm. Bureaus now exist in, in nearly 200 countries. There are very few exceptions major economies that have, that do not have established credit infrastructure. The reporting standards are relatively similar around the world. This is very well-structured data that's being used by thousands of lending institutions in those lending in those local markets. In many cases, these are U.S. companies that have local subsidiaries that are putting billions of dollars of balance sheet at risk on the basis of this type of information. And so the, the, the thought was, well, what if we actually pull all of it together and link up these large, discrete, and growing databases into one holistic system? Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that effectively is what Nova has created. We are a, a single endpoint that allows companies, lenders, landlords, telcos, name the use case that has a credit component to it, and uh, we allow them through one endpoint access into consumer credit information from all around the world. Mm-hmm. And you call that your your credit passport, right? Is that the product that you're talking about there? Yeah. So the the credit passport you can think of today as an international credit report. So just as just as easily as Peter, when you, you know, came to the U.S. 
and you know got a stamp from you know the customs officer or the passport control on your Australian passport, you know people should be able to come to the U.S. and immediately gain access to financial services. Mm-hmm. So it's it's their financial identity that travels with them wherever they go. Right, and that that would have been wonderful to have when I arrived here in 1991. It was. I'm a big proponent because I feel the pain that your customers or the or the the people you're working with that it is amazing. You have you go from being a you know the equivalent of a you know an 800 FICO in your homeland to the equivalent of a 400 FICO in your in the place that you've moved to. So it is it is kind of crazy. So so I just want to dig in a little bit to the credit passport. So. Firstly, you talk about like what are the countries you're working with and and just break down how you're able to get this data because I imagine this data is not they don't just give it away you know it's not easy to uh, to get so explain how you've done that so the, the countries we have online today we're, we're up and running in uh, in India in Mexico in Canada the UK uh, Australia and we're launching uh, in the next few months uh, China Korea uh, Brazil. Uh, Germany, uh, and then a number of other major economies that send immigrants to, to the U.S. The way we've really thought about our, how we prioritize integration is the combination of, sort of technical and data availability and immigrant volume flows into the U.S. Because our primary focus is to help immigrants coming into the U.S. or returning Americans that, that come back here. You know, to, to your question about how do we, how do we pull this off? You know, when, when we first started, again, there's Certainly, a level of sort of naive optimism and, and asking for something from these international bureaus that had never been done. And the way we pulled it off is a combination of regulatory work to understand local laws and uh, how to navigate them and to enable this information exchange to occur. Business development work to motivate these largely privately held bureaus to want to work with us to allow them to better serve their citizens. Uh, working with their regulators to the extent necessary to bring comfort to such information exchange happening, which is ultimately within the spirit of this entire industry that supports consumer access and control over their own information. Right? A consumer ultimately owns their file, and a consumer should have a right to access and distribute that file at their own desire. Uh, and then finally, there's an incredibly complex technical element to collecting all the identification fields, integrating with various systems all around the world mm-hmm. in real time, authenticating consumers uh, in real time, and then actually collecting this information, parsing it, mapping it into a global dictionary, and then you know, providing additional scoring uh, on top of that, and then packaging all of that really neatly into a format that a U.S. lending institution uh, or property manager can digest. Right. So uh, I want to just use the example. Obviously, Australia is the country I know best. I mean, and I'm curious here because the leading credit bureau in Australia, I'm sure you know, is is VEDA, V-E-D-A. You know, they were they were acquired by Equifax not that long ago. So I'm curious, like, why doesn't Equifax do this, or do they do this? If you're going and in, in, in like you're a you're an Australian immigrant, you've just arrived in the U.S., you go and uh, apply for a credit card and and the bank that you're applying to pulls an Equifax report, they they should know that you are from Australia and you have this big file in Australia, but it seems like they don't. I mean, what 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 is going on there that companies like Equifax haven't done this? 
It's, it's, it's a great question and, and one that, that certainly puzzled us from, from the beginning because it is an obvious problem. And, and, and the irony, as you're, as you're raising, is that you know, the big three bureaus are multinational. Right? Each one mm-hmm. has a presence uh, in 10 to 15 countries. But I think that also presents a limitation right? in that the solution that they can develop within their own systems is confined to their own footprint. Right. So, you know, Equifax, as an example, does not exist in Mexico. Their presence in Asia is relatively light. Experian doesn't exist in Mexico or Canada. TransUnion doesn't exist in Europe. Uh, and so their ability to build a solution would only really address 20% of the problem. Right. It wouldn't actually develop a complete solution. And the only company well positioned to complete this, you know, what is a relative, what is a Herculean effort of, of bringing together these global systems is one that is independent and one that can work with all three bureaus hand in hand. Right. And that's the role we play similar to, you know, acting like the Switzerland of the consumer reporting space. Right. So companies like Equifax haven't done it simply because it just wasn't a big enough problem for them. It wasn't it, the, the market didn't, because they are not everywhere. They, they feel like there's just no point in developing the complex systems that would be needed to, to pull it off. I presume that is that what you found? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of the product that they can develop uh, is a partial solution and the addressable market from the partial solution they can create doesn't justify the cost that it would take them to develop something like what we have developed. Right, right. Okay. So then, so you've got Mexico and, uh, and India, for example, obviously two very different countries. How, how difficult has it been to standardize all the data so it's it's really you know so people know that they're pulling credit data that is apples to apples yeah it, it's it's a meaningful amount of work i mean our our company is is 70 engineering uh, and that's because you know there's a lot of technical infrastructure that has to be built out and we you know that is all being done out here in, in, in san francisco by really an incredible team of engineers from from around the country you know the the work involves first, you know, understanding, breaking down and parsing the information that we receive, understanding the definitions behind the information that we receive, and then mapping it into a global format. But at, at its core, the information that we are receiving is very well structured, and, and that makes this effort possible. But we, we've spent a lot of time up front talking to industry experts, understanding how do the global data definitions need to look so that we can truly develop a global format? And that's precisely what we've done. Mm-hmm. So are you, are you working then just with, with credit data or are, you, are, there, are there other kinds of alternative data that, you're, that is part of this or is it purely just credit data? Uh, so the focus today is on traditional credit data. Uh, whether you want to refer to us as alt data uh, is, is really subject to you know, interpretation. I mean, we... Our product offering is traditional credit data that's been repackaged in a format and made available through a, a new distribution channel. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and maybe to, to add one point on that one, Peter. So, so you know, there, there is a vision to add additional indicators into our credit passport, right? So pulling in and supplementing the bureau information that we're receiving from India with additional information from India or additional information about this consumer in the U.S. That's something that we can certainly continue to add into this underlying credit passport. Mm-hmm. Because the, the, the goal is to prevent 
a global representation of this consumer and their financial identity. Right. So then I'm curious about, you know, you're, you're obviously focused on the US for, you know, the, cons- the consumption of this data. So what is your business model? Do you have a, is your business model very similar to the, the big three bureaus, you know, where, you know, the companies will pay to, you know, to get these, to get these credit reports or how, you know, what is your business model exactly? Yeah, it's, it's very similar. So from the perspective of our customers, you know, they go to Experian, Equifax, TransUnion for the traditional U.S. data, and they go to us for international data. So we, we are a consumer reporting agency subject to the Fair Credit Reporting Act. We're regulated by the CFPB. We, you know, we, they can think we act and feel similar to traditional consumer reporting agencies. Uh, and the business model is therefore one of selling credit reports for every report that we generate. Mm-hmm. So does that mean people are going to report back to you like they report back to the bureaus? Is that like, cause that's how the bureaus obviously get their data. So people send it back to them. Is that the same thing that's happening with you guys? Uh, it is. Yeah. So, so a number of our, so, so, so the, the traditional bureau model is one where, you know, if, if bureaus present uh, certain discounts to customers who report back to them. So we have a, a similar process where, you know, if the price is X, if you want this report, if you also choose to, to share back with us, there, there are real benefits for doing so. And in addition to, to you know, price being one benefit, but other, other benefits is that a number of, of customers are concerned with what's called flight risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, people come to this country and, you know, underwriters are worried that they could then leave and walk away on their obligations. And statistically, that is a very, very low probability event, but underwriters are still very drawn to it and, and are always looking for solutions. And one of the areas where we can help there, and this is also what motivates data sharing with us, is in certain countries, we can actually report the events back to the foreign bureau. Right. That's what you um, need. That's what you need. Because I, I actually had, I had a, a, a person, a, a, an associate that I knew, a fellow Australian in the 90s, who was an entrepreneur, set up his business, it failed, and he he just went home and he you know he never he said I never intend to come back to America again and you know he just basically left all of his debts unpaid and I, I mean obviously it's a it's a flight risk but that's what you need if if he knew that his data was going to be reported to the Australian bureaus um, there's no way he would have done that in I don't think he would have done that in that same way so that's that that's really I see as a as a huge a huge piece of the of the puzzle for you guys. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, I think ideologically we believe in promoting a transparent credit system. Like it's bad actors should be penalized yep. as they move from country A to B and, and good actors should be rewarded. And that's, that's ultimately the ecosystem that, that Nova helps support. Right. Right. Okay. So I want to talk about your, who your customers are because, you know, I'm, like obviously, look at you think of like a like a lending club or a Prosper or any of those guys. I mean, I don't know whether they. I don't know. Obviously, there's a certain percentage of them that are going to be immigrants that are applying. But then I know there are other there are other lenders who work like like Opportune. Obviously, that we've had on the show before. They work with uh, you know a, a very large percentage of the immigrant of immigrants in there in uh, for for their platform. So. Are you focused on platforms that focus on immigrants or are you focused on just general lenders? 
So it, it depends on the vertical. So today Nova operates uh, in two primary verticals. And I, I mentioned there are a number of UK use cases where credit information is, is needed. And as a credit bureau, we are you know, ultimately product agnostic. We're happy to support decisions across financial services mm-hmm. and telecom and utilities, et cetera. So our two verticals that we focus on are, are, are first lending and the second is property management. Okay. Uh, within lending, you know, obviously there are so many different subsets. Yeah. You know, we started with some fintech customers. Uh, most of whom are focused specifically on helping serve uh, recent immigrants and internationals. Um, but we've also started working with a few general fintechs that want to that see this opportunity as a growth market, where they're already receiving you know hundreds or thousands of applications from this demographic. And what they do is they you know they go through the regular flow. They will go ping one of their bureaus or whoever their data provider is. They'll try to receive a U.S. file. They'll find zero or very thin information, and they'll default to rejecting the person. Not because they're bad, not because the bureaus are bad, but because this information has never existed. And so by, by working with us, they're able to address a, a large and, and growing market that has very high credit characteristics. Right. So you envisage a world, and obviously the, the more countries you get online, and you, the countries you mentioned earlier are obviously some of the most of the major countries that would be um, you know, that would contain the immigrant population, particularly those that are seeking credit or, you know, property, you know, because what you want to, obviously what you want to have is they pull from a, you know, they pull from a regular bureau, see it's a thin file, no file, and then they pull from you guys and they suddenly, oh, look, they got this, all this rich information. I mean, I presume that's like, that is the, the holy grail for you guys, right? Where, there's just there's your there's your regular bureaus and whether you use TransUnion or whatever you know they they are similar in the, in this country so you use the domestic bureau you use the international bureau and that's sort of what you do for all for all the thin file customers I mean is that what you're working towards Yeah so we, we want to be the data provider for this demographic mm-hmm. uh, you know in fact we are effectively the only provider uh, that exists today as, as we've spent some time talking already. This is a very difficult puzzle to solve. It requires you know, global coordination and a lot of heavy technical build out. Yeah. But the you know what what we want every financial institution in the country to be able to do is to pull credit information on any consumer. So if you're a US consumer, your best source of information will be one of the US bureaus. If you're if you don't have a US file but you have international information about you then you know you should be able to access that information through through Nova. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So you know, as I mentioned in the introduction, that you guys won the Pitch It uh, contest um, this year, early this year in New York at Lendit, and I actually went back and watched your watched your pitch again just just yesterday, just in preparation for this call. And I'm curious about what you know. It's now we're almost six months removed. It's hard to believe we're six months removed from Lend at USA 2017. What what have you tell us about the progress you've made in the last six months? Yeah, it's, it, it's crazy how fast <laughs> time flies. I mean, we are incredibly busy, right? It's it's, it's the nature of, of the stage that we are in, and having found product market fit and continuing to build uh, the business that we're building, you know, our team is at capacity and. and yeah, I think that the progress in the last few months is, is really focused on continuing to add international vendors and add customers and further build out and improve 
our product. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, you know, I've, I've, I, you and I last, uh, overlapped in, in China. China is a huge market for us for, for many reasons. And one that we're very focused on, on having a solution for the millions of Chinese immigrants who come to the U.S. Mm-hmm. So the, the supply side of our equation is, has been uh, really an area of focus. I think on the customer side, we've really built out the property management vertical in the last six months. We've had some really exciting customers onboarded uh, who are you know, noteworthy and, 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 and scalable and really can ask like incredible referenceable customers for us. And on the product side, we've made huge investments in information security uh, and compliance to be able to work with the types of institutions that, that ultimately are in, in the most need for this solution, uh, as well as further building out the, the flexibility and the ease of onboarding and integrating our solution. Right. So can you give us a sense of, I, I didn't actually ask you when you founded Nova, and can you also tell us that and when you got your first paying customer on board? And, and then maybe tell us a little bit about the, the scale you're at, maybe the size of your team. Just tell us a little bit about sort of that, that journey into viability, shall we say. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, been, it's been quite the ride. Um, <laughs> so sure. the, 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 the idea formation really, really took off a couple of years ago now in, in, in 2015, where the problem statement became very clear. And it, it took us over a year to go from what we thought would be the solution to, to first revenue. So our, bit about our history, we, you know, we came out of the, the Stanford graduate program in, in 2016, uh, immediately enrolled in, in Y Combinator, went through that program, and you know, subsequently raised our financing, grew our team, and a few months later, early part of this year, we turned on our first set of customers. You know, that's really been an exciting validation point in that the systems work, the information can be accessed instantly, as easily as you access U.S. You know, traditional U.S. information, and it's scalable. It's, it's something that is working every day I wake up and we have you know, credit requests coming in overnight. And that's a really exciting stage uh, right. of the business to, to be in. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. So, and then like who, who has backed you? Obviously, you, you, you went through Y Combinator and you know, I know you, you haven't raised tens of millions of dollars. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been eligible to, to, to do pitch it. So can you tell us any sense about like who's backing you and, and, and your fundraising kind of strategy? Yeah, so so we uh, we're, we're backed by a number of incredible investors from uh, East Coast, West Coast, and, and internationally. You know, the, to name a few, uh, first round capital is really a, a seed stage focused fund out here. Has been an incredible partner to us. Uh, Index Ventures, who you may know, is one of the mm-hmm. uh, the, the leading ventures uh, investors in Europe and, and, and here as well. Has have been uh, fantastic, and uh, we also have a few uh, fintech specialized funds. Including Nika and, and Core as, as investors, as well as a, an incredible group of angels from, from all parts of the financial services sector. You know, fintech, traditional finance, U.S., international, and, and we're, we're, we're incredibly fortunate to be backed by such a broad and, and, and passionate group of people who believe in, in the mission of what we're after. I mean, this is, it's certainly a big and, am, and ambitious vision. And one that we always need the, the help and support of, of people from around the world to pull off. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. So then, tell us what lies ahead for you guys. I mean, what's on your on your roadmap for the next you know six or twelve months? It's continuing to to scale. Adding additional countries is a huge effort. This is there are 
200 countries, 200 plus countries out there, and we want to figure out a way to help, you know, as many of them as we can. Uh, there are immigrants coming from from every one of those countries to, to the U.S., and particularly, you know, countries where there, there are huge refugee crises going on at the moment. You know, we are very focused on figuring out ways to develop solutions there as well. So I think that mm-hmm. the focus for the next six to 12 months is, is further build out the supply side. So our data vendors continuing to build out the, the product and the ease of integration and continuing to, to add more depth into how far we've penetrated into the lending and property management verticals. Right. There's, there, there's a very clear direction for our business because the problem is very clear. Sure. Um, and the solution that we're taking uh, is one that, you know, we have conviction around continuing to pursue. Right. And so and, and we're almost out of time, but I just want to ask one more question because it strikes me as you're talking. I mean, you, you obviously are an international company and you're focusing right now on the American consumer. Clearly, there's a, there's, there's the same problem that happens in Canada. I know that, I know that in Australia and other, many other UK, throughout Europe, is your focus going to be just on the US or do you feel like long term you can really be a truly international company where it goes the other way? It goes, it, you know, you have all this information and you, you can be in, you know, 20 countries around the world doing the same thing that you're doing here in the US. It's a, it's a great question. We were international before we were national. <laughs> right. um, we are, by virtue of our business model, we've had to build international relationships before we had a product because it is through those international relationships that we have developed a product. You know, by virtue of our, of our size, we've had to really focus on the U.S. to start, and it is the, the largest immigrant market in, in the world. Uh, but it's a matter of time before we launch in you know, the U.K., in Australia, in London, in the Middle East, uh, in Japan, in, in markets that receive you know, millions or hundreds of thousands of, of immigrants, expats, or returning citizens. You know, as the global gateway for information for consumer credit information exchange, we have a duty to help and support immigrants in those markets. And we're moving as fast as we can to, to further you know, unlock those gateways in a manner that is scalable and regulatory compliant. Okay. Well, I, I wish you all the best, Misha. It's, been, it's, it's really been fascinating hearing about, about your company and uh, good luck to you. Well, the, the pleasure is mine, Peter. Really, really appreciate you taking the time and, uh, and please do stay in touch. Okay. Sounds good. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. As I touched on briefly on the show, this is something that is personal for me. You know, I first came to this country in 1991 and I came from Australia. I had obviously I had no credit footprint here whatsoever. Tried to apply for a credit card, got rejected. Tried to apply for a store, like a, a store credit card, got rejected. Um, luckily, I did have an American Express card, which was in Australian dollars that I would spend in American dollars, pay for it in a, you know, and pay for paid off in Australian dollars. So that that helped me get by. But it took me, I think it was eight or nine months to actually get a a, a five hundred dollar credit limit card shouldn't have been that hard. You know, you could be a billionaire in Australia. You come over here in, and you try and apply for a, for a credit card and you're going to probably get rejected if you have no credit footprint in this country. That's insane in 2017. So I fully support the mission that Nova Credit is undertaking. It, it really, it should have been resolved, you know, a decade or two ago. It hasn't. I, so I feel like Nova Credit are doing a great job in solving what is a problem. It's a huge issue. If you're an American, you don't feel it. But if, 
you're an immigrant here it's it's a huge issue and one that you it's very frustrating when uh, when you keep getting getting rejected and i'm I, I really i wish them all the best as i said and i think they they have a mission that is truly honorable and one that i you know i see that will really improve the lives of many many people anyway on that note i will sign off i very much appreciate you listening and i'll catch you next time bye Today's podcast was sponsored by Fundrise. Fundrise is the first private market real estate investment platform available to everyone, that is, accredited and non-accredited investors. I've been investing myself since 2015, and we had the CEO of Fundrise, Ben Miller, on the podcast back in episode 110. You can begin with as little as $500.00. Go to www.fundrise.com slash lendacademy to find out more.